Hello, welcome back to another episode of Creative Chit Chat. Uh, I'm Ryan McLeod, and this week I'm joined by Bad Bish Design. And just before we go into a little bit about the episode, um, just want to give a little bit of an explicit content warning. Um, this week's episode is a little bit sweary, um, so maybe not one you want to listen to um, with the kids in the room. Um, but yeah, definitely still listen. Uh, it's yeah, it's a it's a brilliantly um, passionate and insightful chat that we have, um, centered around graphic design. Um, Badwish takes me through her sort of career, and we talk a lot about um, privilege in terms of art school um, and a lot of the frustrations around that. Um, but also within sort of internships and getting into the industry, and then we sort of move on to talk about the frustrations of client feedback and I think it's probably a bugbear of every every designer um, but yeah Bad Bish talks about her frustration with it how she's dealt with it how she's I suppose turned it around to be a, a positive and something that she feels that, that she, she's really good at having gone through the the experiences the frustration and, and actually a lot of it is about sort of building respect with people and um, and having a bit of respect for the design process as well. I'm not going to into it too much. Um, yeah, and then we, we talk about her um, amazing new role um, with Upfront, um, which is a, a sort of organisation that, that's all about running confidence courses for women um, and started by Lauren Curry, who uh, also has done a creative chit-chat episode, so you can look back through the, the archive for that. Um and um, it, it talks a bit about Upfront in there as well, but you can also head to weareupfront.com um, if it's something that you're interested in. And there, uh, but yeah, also, I mean, we, we obviously go into where Bad Bish um, came from, the name, um, the work that was produced under that as well, and how it was a, a creative outlet in this sort of, I suppose, in, the, in our day to day life there was a lot of frustration a lot of angst a lot of sort of built up tension and bad bush came about as, as a way to to release that to express that but actually a way to sort of build a, a little bit of a community or at least build connections with people through instagram um through the, the sort of the the truth the feelings that were, were happening and for her at that point and it's been a, a really valuable outlet and there's some really lovely insights into to to how she made that work and uh, why it was successful to her, um, yeah, and I think that could be really, really interesting and really sort of helpful for others who maybe are feeling feeling a similar frustration. But yeah, I mean, I think I've probably rambled on enough. Um, just before we get into the episode, though, there is now a way that you can support the podcast. Um, you can buy me a cup of coffee uh, on ko-fi.com forward slash ccc dundee. Um, and yeah, it helps helps me keep putting brilliant people in front of the microphone. So yeah, every cup of coffee that helps. And thanks to everyone who's who's supported so far. So let's get into the episode. This is graphic designer, Bad Bish Design. So I went to DJ CAD in 2012, did a general foundation course, thought I wanted to do fine art, realised I was very wrong very quickly. And then <clears throat> did illustration. Um, why why choose illustration then? If, if fine art wasn't right, why was illustration the choice? Fine art was just so 
nonsense. <laughs> it was just like, it was just all conceptual. The tutors were quite into all the uh, stuff that went over my head about fine art that I just didn't really get. I just wanted to do painting. I just really liked painting and I thought I'm going to go do painting. And then everyone was like, oh, there was, there was one tutor who talked about living in a box for like in a gallery space and for like five days. And I was like, that's not for me. <laughs> that's like, <laughs> that's a lot. <laughs> um, so I figured the next best thing would be illustration because I could still do drawing and painting, but not in that environment. <laughs> Um, and then I didn't do very well at uni because I didn't really know what I was doing and I felt like it was really difficult because a lot of people just had their houses paid for, had what they were doing, had their money and I was working like four days a week and working till like three in the morning and stuff and I'd come into class and obviously when you're at art school you have to be in like five days a week. So I just felt like I wasn't very, I wasn't able to like do much and I wasn't, I wasn't very good at applying myself to it because I was just like, ah, oh, fuck this, I don't know what I'm doing. Um, and then we got asked to do a children's book, which I was absolutely terrible at. And I thought, I don't want to do illustration, but I'm in third year now, so not much I can do about this situation. So... Uh, we actually got a project for a student award brief and I started doing branding and brand design and when we did like a feedback crit one of the tutors was like oh I don't have any critiques on your work and I was like shit I've done something good here so I was like I'm going to be a designer I've just decided so yeah that's what I did I left uni and I went I'm a graphic designer now and then I was working for a pub in Dundee and I started doing the well design work illustration stuff for them and then I started doing it for the company so I did that for like a year for my experience um, they didn't pay me very much and I did most of it actually when I was doing management shifts on the bar uh, but yeah so that was that was interesting because it was the first time I worked I just I just went I'm a designer and they went okay let's see your work and I went there you go and they went cool, you're a designer. And I was like, pay me. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so um, I really wanted to get into an agency or a full-time design job properly and leave hospitality and not have to deal with people. So I applied for loads of stuff and got nothing. Um, and I felt like I was just not going to get anywhere because I didn't have this design degree. I didn't have these specific projects that you do when you do graphic design. You need to have the ISTD brief and you need to have all that kind of stuff. So uh, I was kind of like, I don't really know what I'm gonna do. I'm still doing this stuff for the pub. I guess that's still kind of working in design, but not really, because I'm also working like stupid shifts in a pub. And then I applied for a job at a university in a marketing department and got it. And everyone told me, oh, this is amazing. You're going to have such a secure job. Like, it's going to be great. And then I got stuck there. <laughs> um, just, doing, just doing stuff for a university, like following brand guidelines, 
there's not much scope for creativity outside of that. And as much as you can push guidelines, it still has to be university appropriate. So it has to be copy that you get given by marketers and yeah. But I learned a lot of what I was good at and what I wasn't good at. So turns out I'm really good at taking feedback. (laughs) (laughs) Which is a valuable skill as a designer. Yes, apparently. I got very good at that. (laughs) Um, After doing the same thing 16 times with 16 different versions of changes. Um, But yeah, I I got pretty antsy and I felt like I didn't have any any create anything creative i was just pottering long so the, like you touched on what you were good at yeah so what did you realize that you weren't good at at that point <laughs> people <laughs> <laughs> okay yeah. Nah, i can i can deal with people but my it's it's probably not surprising to know i have a bit of an issue with authority <laughs> i'm sure we'll get to that yeah uh nah, it's just people not respecting the job, not respecting the work, not respecting how much effort or time you put into something. And in an institution, everything's based on a bureaucratic hierarchy. And you don't get the opportunity to put your ideas forward because if someone is above you, their idea is just better, even though it's not. Uh, so I'm, I'm not very good at that. Uh, what's really interesting about that is because you say, you're really good at dealing with feedback, but you're not good with the people. Mm-hmm. But those are intrinsically linked. You can't really have one without the other. Okay, <laughs> let me rephrase. I'm very good at taking feedback from people that I respect and people that are willing to listen to the reasons why I did things. So if I give you a presentation and I'm like, I did it this way because of these reasons that affect that project, and you listen to them, but you give me... A, fee- a feedback on that that means oh yeah actually your way is better that's cool I'm cool with that but a lot of what a lot of what university and bureaucracy is is just no that's not my way so that's not the right way yeah and uh, that's like it's not design is all about there is a reason there's a rationale there's a thought process there's many rules that exist like have existed for like centuries almost that and and that's why you've made certain decisions to come to a conclusion. And then someone just says, nah, but I don't like it. And it's like that, that rage, that frustration, you've spent so much time on it and it's it can be so flippant and just like, nah. And then it's just that, it, that is one of my massive frustrations with design is like that, as you say, like that, that level of respect that people have for like your process as a, as a designer, I suppose. Yeah, it's... it's- it's fine if someone's wanting to disagree with you. That's never a problem. But it's when you get those, make the logo bigger and you've spent like, or to put the logo on the top left, I've obviously tried that. I've obviously put the logo everywhere that the logo could possibly go. That's why the logo is where it is. <laughs> but yeah, um, it's an interesting experience, especially because I'm quite, I'm quite blunt and straightforward and that doesn't really go well in an institution environment um tends to get taken as something as it's not intended um or i just find it difficult when people just won't say what they're thinking like if somebody has something to say that's fine just say it in a professional way and we'll like work on it but yeah 
lot of that. <laughs> and, and I think as well that it's not always that it's not always done face to face. And there's definitely a there can often be like a lack of consideration of how things come across when you write a very quick email, and it is just like a two sentence thing that is feedback on a big piece of work or, or whatever that can again seem quite flippant or just like off the cuff and it's that can be really really frustrating and that the, the the sort of the tone that's used and the wording and the way that people communicate those sorts of things i find like just by changing the way you structure a sentence can something the same sentiment the same piece of feedback can come back come across so differently and it's just like people just don't necessarily think about that or maybe it's a time pressure thing or it's just it's not important enough or I don't know but yeah yeah I think it's a weird one because there's definitely people that I've worked with that can send me a two-line email and I take it very differently to someone else that sends me a two-line email like if you have like the initial respect and relationship with someone then it's it's cool if their feedback is just their feedback, it's just those two lines. But it's when someone has, they, they they miss that you've spent time on this. They miss the fact that you've thought about it. You've not just like pulled it out your arse and went, here you go, this is what I've done. I find that, yeah, that's definitely difficult. But it also meant I've learned lots of things that I didn't know I would ever be good at, like, <laughs> like dealing with people and writing emails <laughs> I've got quite good at that I don't like doing it but I actually got um I was involved in a mentor program last year called Karen in the Gap and uh, it's like a for women in design leadership program and I got paired with um my mentor who is just he's just a big weechie I just love him <laughs> he helped me a lot like he has his own business, Duco Design, and he helped me a lot reframe what I actually was I was doing on a daily basis. So instead of me just being like, oh, I've got I've got dropped doing this and I need to manage this and do this, he was like, you're project managing, you're doing client services, you're an account man, like you're all these things as well as being a designer. And I was like, oh, cool. I just thought I was just plodding along, doing whatever was needed and I needed that like input to like show me like actually you've got loads you got a lot from the job rather than just plodding along <laughs> designing stuff from guidelines but yeah I went to I actually did my master as well I was working there as well um at RGU which was interesting because I started it in September 2019 so it was like four months of actually being there and then lockdown happened so the majority of my master's in lockdown which was stressful to say the least <laughs> um but I went to do a master's in communication design because I was like I just need to do something I need to do something interesting that's going to make my brain work because I've always done my own freelance stuff but even with that I was like I don't I felt like I didn't know how to design felt like I'd been stuck for so long um, and then I went there and I realised that MA was actually like all the MA students were on one course so it was like painting, sculpture, uh, jewellery, fashion 
all in one course with the same schedule, the same lectures, the same um, just the same curriculum. It was really strange. So we were like pulled into this weird space where like I was working in the same studio as a guy who was painting six foot tall cardboard World War Two things. It was really weird. And do you think like the do you think that worked across such a broad range of disciplines? Like are, are the things that you were trying to communicate in your profession, was there that similarity? Was there those parallels between all the other disciplines? The only way I think it was helpful was that we had group crits together. Okay. And that was interesting because it was just interesting to get other people's perspectives that weren't designers. Because like, I, I see other designers work and I see the effort I see like how long that took and I see like oh you've you screen printed that that took you ages like I know what went into that so it was quite good in that respect because people didn't really know what I was doing behind the scenes and I didn't really know what they were doing but the whole course was a bit of a um indulgence in art and design academia (laughs) (laughs) because We had, um, so we had like a course leader who his background was in design, but he was, he was an art lecturer. Like he was very much a fine art lecturer. Fine art was interesting. Concepts were interesting. And then I had a personal tutor who was amazing and he was a designer, but he was not like formally educated. He'd like started working. Like when he left school, he started working as a designer and he worked his way through up to being a lecturer. And I thought that was like, it was so refreshing to work with him because he really understood what I was trying to do and what I was trying to say in terms of my social activist work and what pissed me off about the uni because he was there with me being like, yeah, that's ridiculous. So it got to the point where we had to write, we had to write an essay for like halfway through the course so I wrote mine on how elitism in art schools makes design unaccessible and basically just ripped them to shreds in this essay and handed it in and was like I already spoke to them about it I explained to them what I thought I actually got in an argument with one of the guest lecturers because he basically was saying that you had to put yourself into a box artistically and then he physically like put a cross on the floor and was like, "Go here, go here, go here." If you're this, so I just sat at the back of the di- like the back of the room with my coffee. I was like, "What's going on?" And then I had an argument with him because he told someone else that if they wanted to create something and get paid for it, that that was somehow questionable. That would somehow question their ethics of their project or their work because, yeah, because it wouldn't make it as, I don't know, some art wank, some absolute art wank about nonsense. And I was like, nah, you're all right. And he was like, so what do you do? And I was like, I'm a designer. And he was like, right. And I was like, so I make stuff for money. That's like how it works. Like, that's what I do. And then he was like, saying how, if someone asks you to do something for money, would you not consider not doing it because you were contributing to capitalism or something? And I was like, 
nah mate because I need money I was like if somebody asked me to draw a hippo and went you can have five grand I'm going to take it because it's not offensive and it's not hurting anybody and he stopped speaking to me after that so I wrote an essay about how everyone's an asshole <laughs> um, yeah but not everyone though like you, no um, elitism within art and design was that sorry I've butchered yeah. the title there but um Sorry. I think yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a huge, a huge issue. And that you talk about, you talked about the tutor that you had, who had like a an education where he went into a company and, and worked his way up. And that even that approach is so much more difficult now because you need a degree, like stupid amount of experience to even get an internship. Like the stories I've heard from like junior or young designers who should just been going into internships, junior designer positions, and they're being told you don't have enough experience coming out of art school and you're like it's, it's insane like the the standards that young designers are being held to are, are ridiculous yeah that happened to me several times like i went for interviews in like glasgow and edinburgh for internships and i'm talking pennies they were not well paid like i would have barely survived off the money that i was getting paid for that job and they were like oh we just had more experienced candidates and i was like how like how how because what really irritates me as well about the whole internship and design thing is how am I taking an internship for no money where what what do you want me to do with that like I can't afford to take an internship for no money so the people who can do that get further ahead to get the more get the jobs that ask for the experience and I'm sitting going well what do you want me to do no pay my bills not pay my rent <laughs> like it's it's really it's, it's a serious issue, especially in art school, because art school is, and I can't imagine it won't ever be, like, a place of privilege. Like, so much, so much privilege exists in art school, and, you like, you see people who just have no clue of the real world in art school. Like, it's it's kind of scary at points. And I, I think, like, I've, I've sort of seen it firsthand where... Um, like when I was at university, we had like our course, we were lucky to be, had our own sort of computer suites type things. And as the university has grown and the art school has changed, those resources have become centralised. Therefore, you need to book slots, go into certain labs at certain times, get, and it restricts your access essentially over time. So if you have the privilege of your own machine, therefore you can get ahead, you can do it at home, you can do it anywhere. And it's those sort of mechanisms, it's those sort of things that at play really hinder people who are working hard but don't have the privilege of others and it's just like it, it, it's so frustrating that those the way that things are changing that that those barriers are being increased to entry and to equality yeah it's it's something that really bothers me because i've had really nice life i've like had a nice upbringing but I'm a, I'm a working class person from Dundee. I was the first person in my family to go to uni. Like, it was a big deal that I went to uni. And it it was really frustrating because people are going, getting internships. People are going, like, doing work at night. I'm not doing work at night. I'm working at night. Like, to have money, to come here. To, like, yeah. It's, a, it's something that's really difficult and it's something that always plays on my mind because I'm I'm loud. Like, I'll say these things, but some people will just sit with their pot noodle in the corner. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's 
it's just the lack of recognition, particularly from the institutions, that I just can't understand. Like, you have to acknowledge that not everybody's parents are paying their rent or not everybody's got money to pay art school fees every year and then you don't even get paper from the shop which I don't understand what we're paying for if I'm not getting paper from the shop <laughs> so obviously you talked about the your day job at the university and you have your masters running at the same time and I suppose like the way you've described them both there's frustrations with with both of them right and I might be jumping the gun or assuming here, but I think that you might have needed some sort of creative outlet, if you want to call it that. Um, and I, I wonder if that's how um, Bad Bish came along. Yeah, so while I was doing my master's, I was working on this, like, I was working on everything statistics. I wanted to be able to show people a suite of work that was a feminist, like, manifesto almost in design but I was like you can't argue with me because I've got numbers like these are the facts and then I started realizing that while I was working with my tutor he made me make like 10 posters in a month or something and he was like just go and do everything that you've got so far and like get it all down on, on paper and look at it and I did that and I started to realize that the more opinions I had in the work the better the work was like, the more I let myself be like, nah, fuck this. I was like, this is better design. Like, it was just coming out better. So he sent me on a mission to go make angry shit for a while, <laughs> which was super cool. Um, and when it got towards the end of the year, I'd made a zine and I'd asked people to contribute to it. And it was just me really just rambling about a lot of things that I think are unfair and a lot of things that I want to change. Um, and I had to call it something. And I didn't want to publish it under my own name because I was weird about being myself on social media and stuff at that time. So uh, he was like, right, well, call, give yourself an artist name. He was like, you don't need to, but just do it. Just, like, get over it, and it'll get over your fear, and you can just bang stuff out. And I was like, okay, cool. So I spent ages, looked through loads of shit, figured out loads of boring names. It was, like, loads of random, contrived crap. But my cat's called Bish. So I eventually just decided on Bad Bish Design, uh, which is really funny because <laughs> people think it's like I think people think I'm being like pure clever being like oh bad bitch I'm like that's just my cat <laughs> um so yeah that's kind of how it started and I just started posting all my stuff that I'd worked on and like it was really it was really liberating in a way because I wasn't me and I was just I was just spewing out all this like fuck this fuck that like don't treat me like this don't speak to me like that like and it was just really it was really good because it didn't have anything to do with me it was just this like weird anonymous feminist account on instagram and after i finished my masters i was kind of like what am i going to do like what do i do now like i've made this scene i'm sitting here and i'd always had plans to apply for jobs and move and do something after my masters but we were like 
high pandemic at that time when I finished. So I was like, I had all this time and I'm just sitting in my house. So just started making loads of just angry, feminist, loud ass, opinionated shit. <laughs> and just putting it on Instagram and it just didn't matter because what was anybody gonna say? Like, it was just really fun. And it was, yeah, a total outlet. Like I needed that because I'm, I was just so fed up of people just throughout my whole life just speaking to me like shite or just being an asshole and like getting in fucking arguments with men in pubs for just being dicks. And I was like, how do I like use that and my design to make something like interesting? And then eventually uh, Catherine Rattray discovered me in my infancy and uh, pulled me in the gallery and was like, do a pop-up, make my poster, do a pop-up. And I was like, shit, what am I gonna do? So I had all these shitty wee postcards. Like, I didn't have any money to like get proper stuff. Like, I didn't have any time either. So I just had these shitty wee postcards and like people bought them and I was like, really? Like. <laughs> Okay, that's cool. And then I did another pop-up and I had posters and then I did another pop-up and Catherine was like, put it on a t-shirt. I was like, okay. So then I had t-shirts and then I had hoodies and then kind of all spiralled from there. And so you said like that this outlet was really fun, even at the point at which you weren't making and selling products. So what what was it about that that was really like valuable or rewarding? Was it just... Was it just getting it out into the world? Was it receiving like feedback from people or comments or like getting the gratification and likes and things like that? But what what was it about that outlet that was really like satisfying or rewarding for you? I think it was a bit of just being like a fuck you to the world without anybody knowing it was me just sitting in my spare room designing shit. <laughs> um, but I also think I, I set out with the idea of bad bish becoming a community when I was in my masters I wanted I wanted people that thought like me and I wanted to speak to them and I wanted to interact and collaborate and then I realized just by putting my shit on Instagram I was doing that and I made all these wee Instagram pals and it was just like just people having your back that you don't even know it was like really nice and it was just like this weird little world of a little echo chamber of feminist rage. Because you, you sort of had this like mini series within your Instagram of like moody bish. And they're like beautiful little posts of you just like really expressing what you were feeling at that, that point or over that like a period of time. And so like there's a, like a, there's a lot of parallels between what you're discussing in those posts and what people talk to me about on the podcast or that I asked them to talk about. Um, so yeah, like we're... Why did you decide to take it down that route? And where did that little like sort of mini series come from? I kind of touched on it when I was writing my zine. I realised that writing was like I'm not I'm not good at writing, but I'm good at making it sound like me. Like I'm good at making it feel like I'm saying things because I don't care about writing, so I just write it how I speak. <laughs> and uh, I realised when I was writing a piece for my zine about being a bit of an introvert and trying to network and stuff that actually it was really therapeutic to just say shit. So when I started Moody Bish, 
I was just, I was just feeling like a grumpy bitch, to be honest. And I just wanted to be like, do you know what? Instagram isn't all shiny. Like, I'm not doing anything here. Like, I'm not doing anything special. I'm not doing anything. I'm not making loads of money. I'm just doing shit because I want to do shit. And I, there's nothing. I hate, I hate the shiny side of Instagram. And I just wanted to be like, look, things are shite sometimes. <laughs> sometimes they're good. Sometimes people help you, sometimes people are arseholes. And that was just kind of what what it came out as. Because I think I realised that I needed the outlet at that point. It wasn't just like, oh, I'm doing fun wee things anymore. I was like, oh, I need to, need to rant. I need to rant a lot. <laughs> but and there's like, I suppose you, you ask, like there, there are questions within that or things that you're exploring within that as well. And like, I wondered if you'd ever like come to conclusions or like, work things out through just that post or discussions around that or yeah do you ever like found answers by by taking that approach I think I found not not through the post but I found answers by posting it and putting it out there because I was like oh everybody's messaging me being like oh same like oh same I feel shit and oh same sometimes I find it hard to like be like doing all this stuff and working and like juggling your life and small business and but I think the best thing that I learned that I did a post about was just that nobody knows what the fuck they're doing. Absolutely nobody knows what the fuck they're doing. And if they tell you they do, they're fucking lying. <laughs> it's so comforting to just know that everybody else is just about making mistakes and saying stupid shit and fucking up because that's just what happens. And that was really, that was one of the posts that people were like, yeah. And I was like, we need to stop putting people on these pedestals and being like, oh, you, you have this best life. I on Instagram. You don't put your shite on Instagram, do you? Not to get 100,000 followers and get advertised for these weight loss things. <laughs> <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's just like, I found it really freeing, especially when I was working with like mentors and stuff. And like, the more I thought about it, I was like, yeah, no, nobody does. We're all just fucking about trying to figure it out. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Um, I think like way back at the start of the podcast, I made little badges, and it said we're all just muddling through, and like it's so true. And I think it that with time, you like everyone grows a confidence in their ability, and then you kind of maybe you never get over that not really knowing what you're doing but you have confidence in the the technical skills that you have over time whether that's software whether that's physical making whatever that might be that those are the things that get you through because you know you can go through a process and you can get to the end of that process and produce something no know exactly what that is or even even close to what that is but but yeah you, you sort of grow that that over time i think yeah definitely it's just like a it's a revelation though isn't it like when you really think about it. And it, it's so it's so interesting to me because now I approach things with that kind of mindset and I'm just like, yeah, you you have your skills. Everyone has skills, everyone has technical abilities and everyone has places where they're an expert, but no one's an expert everywhere. Very true. So th there's a couple of... Um, pieces of your work that I want to talk about um a couple of the like 
bold graphic pieces. Um, first one is like a good old Scottish saying, um, "What's for you, I'll not go past you." And I kind of like I, I totally I totally get that. Like I I I can really um, like relate to that, especially when you're talking about when the, you have those down times and that realizing that opportunities will come along. But I kind of feel like if you sit in your pants and eat like cheesy watsits, that's probably not going to happen necessarily. So there are there has to be some sort of prerequisites to that. There has to be some sort of stuff that happens in order for that sentiment, that statement to be true. And so what I, I wondered was like, what do you think those things are that you need to be doing in order for that to sort of ring, ring true? Yeah, definitely. I definitely agree. Um, I have like that phrase is like, a nice wee place in my brain because my mum says it to me. It's just like a nice wee, what's for you, I'll no go past you. It just, <laughs> it just makes me happy. Um, I think that I'm a bit of a workaholic. I'm not very good at relaxing. I accidentally work quite a lot. <laughs> Even if I don't realise I'm doing it. If I'm like doing something on my laptop, I'll be like, oh, and um, before I know it, I've spent two hours in Illustrator doing something that I didn't even be doing. But, I think there's this tendency for us to be like, oh, you need to work really hard and you need to use all the time in your day and you need to do everything to be able to get what is coming to you. And I don't actually agree with that. I think that people who have cracked the work-life balance are just doing the things. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't got there yet, I'm trying, but I think Having being able to be the type of person that can take time and be like, I need to step back, I need to let my brain relax. I feel like that's that'll get you far. Like, I wish I was better at that. And the the, the second one that we're doing <laughs> is probably I don't know. I mean, do you think it's fair to say you know what statement I'm talking about? But um, do you think it's fair to say that that's what people best know you for? Yeah. So the statement is "fuck the Tories." Fuck the Tories. <laughs> and you've put it on like Prince Totes T-shirts, and I, um, I imagine from what I've seen that they're like the biggest sellers that you have. Yeah, absolutely. People love it. People love it. And if people don't love it, they don't have the balls to tell you they don't love it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm yet to meet somebody who's actually come up to me and been offended by it. But we're also in Dundee, so. Well, yeah, I mean the yeah, play to your <laughs> audience, right? Yeah, um, it just I just made it as a print. It started out, it actually started out as a print that had the colours of the transgender flag on it, um, and then it just kind of evolved. And I was like, I want to wear a fuck the Tories T-shirt and a fuck the Tories hoodie, like, it's so outwardly important to me that people know that. <laughs> I just want I just want to be like, let's not have any like disagreements here. Let's just put that on the t shirt and crack on with our day because yeah, I mean we don't need to go into it, but fuck the Tories. There's a fucking list of reasons what we could say, but I mean that's a whole other like podcast. Yeah. I'm sure there are many <laughs> podcasts on it. Um but yeah, but I suppose it's quite uh obviously you talk about it, it is a very open and honest statement. Um, and I want to talk about a, a little bit about like introversion versus extroversion because um, I know you sort of 
created a, a zine looking at that. Um, but yeah, obviously, like some things you talk about, you talk about being quite close and personal, and and like not necessarily wanting to talk about it anymore, like be public with it. And then there's other things where you're like, no, no, I'm just going to go and do it, and I've done it. And so, like, how do you like? Are you an introvert or an extrovert? First off, I don't know. Uh, I think I can be an extrovert. I think I'm also I'm also very uncomfortable in situations where I have to put myself forward. Um, networking is a no. I can't be in a room with people and be told to mingle. <laughs> I'll just stand in the corner and drink my coffee. Like, but. I think in terms of if I have an opinion on something and sometimes to my detriment I will voice it like I if I feel passionate about something um, I'm more than willing to shout it from the rooftops and argue with people over it and whatever but I'm not an extrovert in terms of I don't like public speaking I don't want to be on a stage I don't want to be doing a keynote speech I just that's not where I'm comfortable um, maybe that'll change in my life, but for now, it's really not. And what I wrote about in the zine was about the concept of how a lot of creative creatives are introverts, right? So why are you putting us all in a room and telling us to chat? Like, it's difficult, right? So I went to a few Creative Dundee events when I was like trying to get back into stuff and I thought, I can, I can do this. And I just kind of felt weird I felt uncomfortable and I was like that's when I wrote that because I was like how the fuck am I supposed to network when I can't even go up to somebody and be like hi you're at the same event as me like let's have a conversation it's just not really my thing but I'll have an argument with somebody in the pub at Victoria's someone you don't know just randomly yeah. totally happily <laughs> you're just not passionate about networking no, definitely not. Is anybody? I mean, it's, it's a horrible... Hor- <laughs> I, absolutely, there are millions of people who are very passionate about networking. Mm. Um, I'm not sure they're the kind of people I'd, I'd want to be in a room with. But, <laughs> um, yeah, they do exist. But, I, I mean, I think I, even the, the term networking sort of makes me sort of cringe. But I think there's... I think when I started out, I was definitely massive introvert and... I think I've learned elements of extroversion to get by. And I think when you talked about um, the project management, the client services, the other bits that you have to do that aren't designed, but you need to do it to get by, that's how I feel like I've sort of pushed myself into extroversion through necessity rather than necessarily desire, if you like. Yeah, I wouldn't. I don't think I could choose it. <laughs> I don't think I could choose to be... Uh, happy to walk up to people in a room and be like hi I find it very difficult when I have to introduce myself to people in a design capacity because I have to be like hi I'm bad bitch design and I feel like a dick (laughs) but that's how everyone knows me so it's super weird that is uncomfortable in itself no matter how extroverted I seem (laughs) I'm uncomfortable with that but then I think it's like it's finding that balance that works for you right you find the places where you want or you're happy to be extroverted and um where you're not then you have to find ways of of dealing with that or getting around it or or, yeah whatever i suppose so yeah i mean you've obviously worked across like 
lots of different styles of design. So from starting out working and doing the, the bar stuff to obviously more corporate university stuff to your like self-expression through through Badbush. Um but like do you now feel like you have a a sort of pretty well defined process that you use as a designer, no matter what the, the challenge is? Uh maybe. Not really. Sometimes. <laughs> I guess it depends what it is. Um I like to research things. I like to be able to read what I'm designing about or whatever it happens to be. But I don't really think I necessarily have a set process for every single thing. I mean, if we're talking like brand design, then I do the same steps, but it's not always necessarily in the same order or the same kind of styles. It just depends on who you're working with and what you're creating, I think. I don't really think that I have any defined way of working, <laughs> which is, I don't know whether it's good or bad, but... But you must have little things that you do every time, like in the ways that you take notes or that you start out the process, like designing or that you're talking about opening up Illustrator or whatever. There must be like constants in that, no? It just depends because I do so much I do so many different things that like some of it is so in depth that I need to research it and I need to spend some time looking at like competitors analysis and figuring out like where that brand for example wants to sit in their market which is obviously a lot more in depth and this actual research but if I'm making like a poster for an event I'm just like ah where is the event what is the event okay cool make a poster <laughs> it's it's not like yeah I don't really think I have any one way of working I work a lot of different ways as well so I like I work on illustrator but I also draw a lot on my ipad and sometimes I'll sketch things out sometimes I don't touch a bit of paper it just depends like how I'm feeling and what I feel like the idea is giving me um and then obviously like googling random shit and looking for visual inspirations to see what that does to the idea but so where do you where do you get your visual inspiration from um just just loads of shit sometimes i just google shit sometimes i sit on pinterest i don't recommend doing that uh i always end up i'll look at stuff for like half an hour and then i end up looking at bonnie kitchens that are an unachievable goal uh but I think people don't like Pinterest because there is a tendency to copy shit directly from what you're seeing in front of you. But I quite like it to see random things that I wouldn't see if I looked on like Instagram, for example. So if I'm looking for like brands, I'll look on Instagram, I'll look for similar things. I'll look and see like what what is where, what's close, what's what, if there's anything with the same name, always do that. If you're doing something where you have to think of a name for something, Google it first. Uh, I've done, I've made the mistake of that before. <laughs> but yeah, and then just generally, like, if I like something, I've walked past a nice sign with a nice font on it, I take a picture of it, or like, as long as I don't look like too much of a dick doing it. But yeah, and, and I'm a bit of a font geek as well, so I just like, I collect fonts. I just like in what way? Every time I see a nice font, 
uh, I either take a, if it's like in the real world, I take a picture of it. If it's like on something I can't have, I want to draw it. I want to see like what it is. And if it's an actual downloadable font, I just download it. I've got like so many fonts, it's ridiculous. Can't actually find normal ones because there's just some that are just absolute mental. But I really like drawing lettering as well. So a lot of times I'll just like see something random and then like be like, oh, that's a nice S. I'm going to draw something from that letter S. <laughs> and so this is very niche, but you know when you said you, you download lots of fonts? Yeah. Do you then, like when you're choosing a font, what is your process of doing that? Like, do you go through your font book and just like look at them all? Barely ever. <laughs> Well, that, that's the thing. I do exactly the same thing. I go, oh, that's nice, and we'll download that, and then never look at it, and then probably end up for a project, I'll find it somewhere else, download it again, and then use it. So it's kind of like you, you create this repository of, of fonts, but then it's just kind of, they're they're just nice to have because it's not really <laughs> how you, you functionally use them. Yeah, I, I do that all the time. Like, I'll scroll through on Illustrator, like, once, before when, and then I'll be like, oh, no, I need something else, and I'll go and look for something that is specifically what I've got in my head like what exactly I want and then yeah sometimes I come back and it's exactly the same as something I already had and I just spent an hour or downloading trials of things that I already have as well do that and yeah just end up with 5,000 fonts that I never use <laughs> yeah there's got to be a better way I always think that when I'm trying to find a, a font and I'm like there, there must be a better way of doing that and do I really need all those other ones clogging up, like, the hard drive? Oh, you can't get rid of them, though, can you? Because then what? Because then what? <laughs> and you talked to there about, like, the, the that vision in your in your head. Like, do you, do you always have that? So for every, like, project, will you have some sort of, like, rough, like, even rough, or maybe quite sharp vision in your head of what you want to achieve? Sometimes, sometimes no, but if I start designing without a bit of a vision in my head, it never ends well. It'll end in 16 versions and me not being happy with any of them because I don't know what I'm trying to create. So I don't have, I don't have the vibe down, so I don't know what I'm making. I don't have an end goal. But also, a lot of the times I'll be like, oh, this is a great idea I've got in my head and I'll do it and I'll be like, well, that's shite doesn't work <laughs> like my brain is not adobe illustrator unfortunately so yeah but i think i always have a kind of concept it, it's often wrong though like it's not always going to be the first thing someone wants or the first idea and i think that's another thing about being a designer like you have to try and figure out people's obscure references to try and see what they actually want which sometimes takes a few goes so the thing that might be in my head that i put out in illustrator it's not near what I'm actually needing. Yeah, that's that's interesting because like I, I I do have that as well where you you imagine something, and then the end goal is like sometimes completely different. But that that initial vision, that initial like um, goal or whatever you call it, like it's so helpful because you're driving towards something, and you have that set thing, and you're like, no, that's not it, but that's closer, and that's that, and then and then you're just working your way towards that so even if it's not exactly what you make it, it it's a very helpful thing to have in your mind however fuzzy that is i find like it can be some projects it's really like this is like it's quite sharp 
and other ones are like mm, it's a little bit like that and then maybe a bit like that and then sometimes they become clearer and sometimes they just they just don't they disappear but yeah no I definitely feel that because if I start something and there's no there's no clear end like if I picked up my iPad to a blank like screen and try to draw something and nothing comes to my head I just put it down again I'm like there's no point like I'm not I'm not ready <laughs> because I'll just sit there and I'll try and I'll just waste my time trying because I don't actually know what I'm trying to do I'm just sitting so yeah if that happens I usually like go away and look at more stuff or like go away and just like have a break and come back and see if my brain's done anything new <laughs> which is the thing that you said at the start of the episode that you weren't good at yeah, but by doing something else, I mean other work. Like, jump onto another task. <laughs> okay. Like, I don't... Sometimes I take the dog for a walk, but, I mean, I'll probably just go do something else and then come back to that thing. I mean, yeah, there's absolutely something to be said for um, dogs being part of the creative process. For yes. sure. As a 5, 10, 10 20 an hour's distraction um, is, is excellent. It's especially during the last few years for sure yeah well we've had our puppy for a year now so he's finally out of well almost completely out of puppy stage and we can actually like go for nice walks and honestly the mental health benefits are too much it's so good like just because i have to go out like i don't have a choice if i'm in a shite mood and i'm stressed about work it doesn't matter like dog needs to go out and i always feel better when i come back like every time and do you find that, like, now we've, we've sort of, I don't even know how to describe this phase, but, like, things are returning to where you can meet people in person. Um, do you find that you are being more drawn to that? Like, working with people again in the same space? Or are you quite happy just being um, working from home or just you and the dog? Uh, yes and no. So... I don't want to work in an office. I don't need an office space. I'm so much more productive when I don't have anything to like distract me, which sounds silly because my house is distractions, but I like doing my work, so I'll sit and I'll do it. Whereas if I'm in an office, I'm like, oh, I need to go and get a coffee, I need to go get my lunch, I need to go do this, I need to go do that. Or people come in, your, like, come in and be like, oh, I need this, I need that, and you forget and you do 16 things at once. I always do 16 things at once anyway but at least at home nobody's asking me for extra stuff <laughs> um, but I would like I would like to do more like workshops and work with people outside of design so like actual communities and do more like what we did at the design festival again because that was amazing but in general I'm good with no people <laughs> so we, we haven't actually talked about design festival um yeah so you worked with um kate who's been on the podcast i can't i, I should really know how many episodes back now but i, I can't remember because i've stopped giving them numbers so it's, <laughs> it's, it's more difficult um but yeah we sort of we worked together as a sort of yeah i imagine it was quite a an intense experience because it was quite time pressured also um trying to put on a festival during the pandemic is quite challenging um but yeah how was how was the experience of i mean creating the most successful space that we had at dundee design festival 2021 which became known as the the pigeon palace (laughs) yeah that was scary the first time you took us up there and it was just full of 
pigeon boxes. Pigeon <laughs> yeah. boxes, spiders, and cobwebs. And I was like, are you all right? Like, is, this, is this actually going to happen? That comes back to the vision, though, right? So it's knowing what is possible. And yeah. having had like having had the experience of done that in twenty nineteen in the Keeler Centre, we knew that we could take a space that was needed a bit of love and sort of bring it to life for the for the festival. Um but yeah, so obviously that was a bit more intimidating if yeah, walking into that space for sure. Yeah, well I'm really glad I was with Kate because Kate's just Kate's amazing and me and her are really good friends and it was like I was like terrified of everything and Kate was like yeah, it'll be fine. And I was like, are you sure? <laughs> are you sure this is going to be fine? Um, but it was amazing. It was an amazing experience. Um, I can't believe we turned the Pigeon Palace from that terrifying place into, like, the madness that it was. And it was so busy. Yeah. And it was so cool to be in Finlathen and people just who would never ordinarily come near anything, like a design festival, we're just pure piling in and it was great and it was so good to speak to people that were just like it it was just it just was what it was it was just a workshop it wasn't it did, people didn't care that it was like part of the design festival people were just like this is really cool like this is near my house and i can send my kids and go across the road and like fix up my old shit or get free free shit which was also really cool and it was stressful like it was a lot but it was like so rewarding because I worked like the weekends that it was on and I was just like, this is so cool. Like people were making fucking dinosaurs on t-shirts and stuff out of vinyl. What? I, st- <laughs> I still see stuff on Instagram that I'd never seen over because there was four spaces. You can't be everywhere all the time. And it's like, there were so many amazing creations that came out of that space. Um, yeah, for anyone who hasn't seen it, uh, um, you, can, well, you can go on your Instagram and see um, which I'll, I'll link at the end. Um, but yeah, like all these creations of people just making on random jumpers or pieces of clothing or tote bags and just, yeah, I still keep finding finding ones that I've never seen before. Yeah, I still see people like wandering about the town sometimes and I'm like, that's so cool. Like some of the stuff people were doing was just insane and I was like, the coolest part about this is that me and Kate would have never thought that. We would have never in a million years thought half the shit that people made, but they made it and they were so proud of it. They were dead chuffed and there was just loads of wee kids who were just like throwing vinyl on shit and having the best time and it was really it was a really good community experience as well and there was quite a few wee kids who just kept coming back and like at one point there was these wee kids that kept coming back that were teaching their wee pals how to do the workshop and I was like that's cool (laughs) but I think that it was just really nice to be somewhere like Finlathen where People wouldn't travel into town for that. They did it because it was near them. And I think the community aspect was like super important, especially in the design festival. And yeah, Dundee's very impoverished city, so it was super cool to be a part of it. And like, I think it achieved what we were aiming for, which was to make design accessible and to break down those barriers and to just welcome people into a space and have a bit of fun. And whether they called it design it didn't really matter they just came and made something as you say like they learned those skills and then they taught their pals those skills and then um yeah it was it was wonderful to see just people engaging and like madness to see people queuing for like literally hours to to get into the space 
um yeah it was it was it was fantastic so well done well done you (laughs) (laughs) i think uh there's a especially in dundee there's a lot of animosity towards what design is and what the cultural community is just because we've got the vna in the city center you've got everything in the city center but there's a lot needs done outside of that and i think we should all think about that more when we're thinking about doing workshops and community exercises and it was really nice and fun yeah and i think it's it's about trying to break down those barriers um and the things that we talked about earlier about the sort of elitism of it and the you shouldn't need to have a laptop with software um you should be able to put on design content without the need to have any predefined knowledge of of what it is or what you do or how to act or how to be it's just sort of just come in and have a go sort of thing um and that's what was sort of lovely about it yeah definitely there's i think design spaces can be really intimidating if you don't belong there i quite often don't feel like i belong there like it's my job (laughs) like and i just sometimes i think like this isn't this isn't for me and i don't think that should ever be the case like people should understand what you're talking about it's not design doesn't have to be super complex it is just it's it's everywhere it is what it is like it doesn't have to be something that people have to go to uni to understand and sort of i suppose as if i meant the segue but like uh talking like before we finish up like talking about your new role that you've just taken on is very much in that sort of sentiment and looking at how you break down those barriers and how you actually create space for people and make them feel accepted wanted empowered within those spaces where they don't normally are um so do you want to talk a little bit about like i mean first of all what upfront is and what your role is within that yeah so my new role is design lead at upfront um upfront is founded by lauren curry who's just an absolutely amazing human and um it's about changing confidence and changing what confidence is to you for women and non-binary people so confidence doesn't work for women but women should be able to be confident in themselves it's not about we're not doing like gary v courses it's not about like being loud and it's about what confidence works for you and how you show that and how you show up and how you can be more comfortable in yourself through that um it's a really amazing organization and I work with some absolutely amazing humans and it's just so nice to work somewhere where I get to be a part of the message. And they, like, I applied to that job with my bad bitch stuff. Like, I applied to that job as myself, got the job as myself, and I show up as myself. And they're they're, they're happy with that. And that's amazing because I've never got to do that before. It's always been, like, be the corporate version of yourself or like be the angry sweary bitch version of yourself (laughs) so yeah it's really amazing so they they do um bonds which are courses six-week courses um that you can sign up for and it's just um internal speakers external speakers there's a community a global online community that i'm a part of now which is just amazing because it's just lots of women and non-binary people just coming together in one space and helping each other and even just wee things like 
oh I need help on negotiating a job offer or I need help like something related to like parenting like there's just so many spaces for so many people and it's just lovely to be able to be a part of that and what sort of what excites you about the future of of that um I'm really excited to do the course because I've not done the course yet (laughs) um so I'm really excited because when I when I did the research to apply for the job I was listening to podcasts and I was listening to Lauren speaking and I was like just looking at all the content that existed and I was like I feel like I fit here I feel like my views and the way I think are only going to be improved by working here because I have people around me to support me and like champion me which is amazing because not not everyone has the privilege of working somewhere like that so I'm more excited for what's going to happen to Maui brain over the next few months because I can already see changes like I'm not apologizing as much which Lauren tells me not to do (laughs) but it's 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 you don't notice it like as a woman you apologize for everything somebody bumps into you oh sorry like everything is apologetic and there's no need for it like not everyone does that so it's kind of just reframing what confidence is what kindness is and how you can bring that into like your work your life your parenting everything But yeah, I mean, it, it sounds like a really great opportunity and like amazing, as you say, like that you can now be yourself at work, which seems like a bit of a mad concept, right? But um, yeah, I mean, there there must be so many people out there who've, who don't feel that they, they can be themselves. But yeah, I mean, there's obviously um, like Lauren's episode, um, she's been on Creative Chit Chat already. Um, but yeah, I think, did you say there was a, um an upfront podcast as well yeah so lauren just started doing a podcast um it's called upfront moments and every monday it's just a little snippet of her glorious wisdom um and it's really cool because i've been i've been doing all the design assets and i've never worked on a podcast before so that's pretty cool like my artworks on spotify that's cool um but yeah it's it's super like I would listen to Lauren's podcast if I didn't work there and be like this woman's a genius like but it's so nice working with her and like she's just human and she's like that's how she conducts herself as well like everyone in the team is we we all work so hard and for such a good cause but we're all allowed to just be humans at the end of the day and if we need a break we get we can chill and it's it's just amazing that there are places to work like that (laughs) and before we finish up um could you recommend something you've been listening to watching or reading recently uh i love podcasts i listen to podcasts all day while i'm working um so i've been listening to should i delete that which is a podcast by two influencers who talk a lot about like body positivity and the shit side of Instagram and it's 
just really funny and they have lots of guests who talk about serious topics but also like just stupid shit <laughs> i really like it while i'm working great well that's us thanks very much is it over that's it we're done so thank you to bad bish design um yeah go and check out our work um at bad bish design and uh, all the links are in the show notes and get yourself a lovely fuck the tories t-shirt also if you do know of a better way of managing fonts um let me know because i am up for trying it out um at ccc dundee on twitter and instagram drop me a, a message and let me know um yeah and if you enjoyed the episode if you have been listening for a while and enjoyed the podcast um a way that you can support it is by buying me a cup of coffee on ko-fi.com forward slash ccc dundee um and all that's left to be said is about next week's episode so i'm joined by jenny patterson um, PR extraordinaire, um, now part of, of V&A Dundee, but she's gone from sort of Dundee to Glasgow to London and then drawn back in um, to Dundee. So she'll be telling, sharing her story next week on the podcast. But until then, bye. <laughs>